Well, hey, everybody, let's give a shout of praise to our great God. Amen. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Christ Fellowship. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at CF. And I want to take the time to welcome all of our campuses right now joining us live all through Miami, as well as everyone online. But I especially want to welcome our first-time guests, or perhaps our second-time guests. Some of you came to Easter weekend and decided to come back. And so thank you so much for being here. In fact, family, let's go ahead and give it up for them right now. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, before we dive into God's Word, let me just give you an update of something that's going on in, our, in my own personal family. Late this past week, I actually tested positive for COVID. And by the grace of God, I have had no symptoms, barely anything. And so the Lord has been showing me grace and protecting me through this whole thing. And uh, we just heard back that Ashley is negative. Praise God. We're still here waiting to hear back from Camila. But if you, are gonna, if you can, I would, I would thank you for your prayers. Uh, and as you pray for us, pray specifically for Ashley that she will be protected. Uh, you know, being pregnant, she's high risk. And so that, she's my biggest concern at the moment. But uh, we're just thanking God that as of right now, uh, she is negative. And so because of everything going on, we decided to pre-record this message. And uh, don't worry, we're following all the safety precautions and all the, the guidelines, so don't worry about that. But... Next week, we're going to have Pastor Mark Croston joining us here to teach God's Word. And so he's always a treat for us here. We love Pastor Mark, and we cannot wait to see what he's going to teach us from the Gospel of Mark. All right? So wherever you find yourself, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. And uh, you can just follow along with me as I read. All right? Let's do what God's Word says. He says this, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave what? Yeah, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. In other words, they take their focus off of, the, of God and they focus more on the tradition of men. They took their eyes off the real thing and they focus on that which was not the real thing. Well, that is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody. Well, last week I shared with you all that Ashley and I had a free trip to Hawaii for our anniversary. And we went and we had a really, really good time. But one of the things that I did not know about Hawaii, about Maui specifically, is that during the months of December through about May or so, it becomes a world migration center, forget this, for humpback whales. Yeah, now, now follow me here. Because during the uh, summer months, all of them are up north in the Arctic and they're eating and they're gaining weight and they're doing their thing up in the Arctic. But once the waters start to get a little colder, they all migrate down south to Hawaii, specifically the waters, the bays of Maui. And here's why. It's because in the waters of Maui, it is a 
shallow, warm water that is free of natural predators. And so while they're there, they're giving birth to their, to, their, to their young. They are mating. They're having fun. They're playing. They're relaxing. They're resting. And then once the winter months passes, then they go back up north all the way back to the Arctic, and they feed again, and they start gaining weight. But here's what I didn't really uh, didn't expect, is that even when you go into the water, get this, you can actually hear them. Yeah. In fact, I went underwater and I grabbed a video just so you can hear what I heard. Take a look. Pretty amazing, right? So while you're, while you're swimming in the waters of Maui, you're hearing all these whales sing back to each other. So naturally, we wanted to go out to the, to the water and actually see them up close. So we booked a tour and off we went. And folks, when we finally got to the place, there was not just one. No, there was a part of them. There were so many of them. And uh, in, in fact, while, while we were there, Ashley was sitting right in front of me and she was looking at them and enjoying them. And I had to take out my phone and capture this moment. In fact, I, I caught a, a moment where one of them was close to the boat and they were flapping their tails. Take a look. Yeah, yeah take a look at that. That's right next to her boat. And so we were just there and just... Just amazed, really, at these huge animals just so closely everywhere there in the waters of Maui. That was a really, really special thing to see. But folks, when we finished that tour and we got back, here is what I realized. Is that Ashley was able to fully experience that moment. Why? Because she was sitting there and she was just looking at these whales, taking it all in and just enjoying that moment. But folks, even though she didn't miss it and she experienced it, I actually realized that I missed that moment. Yeah, and here's why. It's because while Ashley was focusing on it and experiencing it, I took up my phone, yeah, and I put on the camera and I began to record. And while we were there, I was more concerned about the camera shot, zooming in, zooming out, doing portrait, all these different things, taking pictures, you know, video, all these different things. That folks, the entire time, I was focusing more on the camera, on my phone, than the actual whales. And, folks, and so folks, don't miss this. Because during this whole time, even though I went seeking for the whales, I wanted to experience the whales, family, I put my focus on the one thing that looked like the real thing, but in reality, it wasn't. Because even though the real thing was right in front of me, folks, I was focusing on what looked like the real thing. And family, let me just bring all that over to our teaching for today, because what an image of what traditions and rituals can do to someone seeking God. And by that I mean that just like I focused on the wrong thing, and by and through the process I missed out on the real thing, listen, just like that. And here's my big idea for today. Many people focus so much on religious traditions and rituals 
that in the process, they never actually experienced God. And who knows, maybe you're out there and you're thinking, Omar, I know exactly what you mean. Because I came from a really religious, ritualistic background, or I know people that are coming from that background. And so I understand what you're saying. So Omar, why are we as people so attracted to traditions, to rituals? And how do I know if I'm focusing on the real thing? Well, on the, or in the wrong things. Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 7, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue our teaching through uh, this series called Straight Up, where the Lord kind of taught us truth, and he was always straight up with us. And so with that in mind, I have two thoughts for us on why people focus on traditions and rituals so much. So write this down as point number one. It's because traditions and rituals can make us feel godly. Emphasis on the feel part of it. Now, let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, folks, it's not talking about uh, unsanita- something unsanitary. It was more about a ceremon- be ceremonially clean. And, and the passage actually explains what that means. Take a look. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, properly, holding to the what? To the traditions of the elders. And, where they, and, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as a washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now, stop right there for just a moment. And let me just give us a quick background of what's taking place here. Because the Jews had all these uh, religious traditions and these rituals that they would follow concerning the washing of their hands to make them ceremony clean to eat. Now, folks, the reason behind all this, as you saw in the passage, is because their concern was if they went to the marketplace, they were concerned that one day they would just bump into someone who was maybe unclean, right? Or maybe they would handle coins or money that somebody else had handled that was unclean, ceremonially unclean, or something happens that they were not aware of. And so when you would come home, you would just wash your hands, not the way that you and I wash our hands when we come home, but they would do it so they would be ceremonially clean. And family, it was a specific long process. Now, to start off, it was not a one-man job. You needed two people to do this. So here's what they would do. They would come and, they, and somebody else would get, get a specific amount of water with a specific mix or something is specifically tailored for this, for this, for this ritual. And they would put their hands just like this. And they would pour water down uh, their, their, their hand just like this. And then the water would drip into a basin. And folks, after they have gone through all that a specific way, they would then turn their arms just like this downwards. And they would do the same thing until all the water drips off. Now, all that water that was dripping down, all that water was unclean. So if just one drop, if just one drop landed on you, you had to start the entire process over. 
And family, they would do this several times during a meal. Yeah, and this was just one step. Uh, this was one small step in washing their hands. And so they had a process for washing cups and pitchers and the pans and everything that they cooked with. So the question is, all right, Omar, so where did all these laws come from? Well, first, let's backtrack a little bit to help us understand. You know, early on, God gave the nation of Israel uh, certain laws that they had to follow. Now, on their face, it may, those laws may have seemed like random, meaningless laws, right? When you read through the Old Testament, they might look just like random, meaningless laws, but the reality is that they had a lot of meaning. You see, all these laws were all designed to help the people of God understand who God was, who God is, what is our relationship to God, and, and how we're able to approach God. And so in this case, the Lord had given them some simple laws, right? That if they touch something that he had declared unclean, that they must go through a step, through a, a, some simple steps, um, and, and, and so that otherwise you could not really eat. They had to go through some simple steps before they could go approach and worship God. And so what the Lord was doing in the process of all these laws was really ingraining in the minds of the people, right? That before you approach a holy, blameless, uh, righteous God, listen, that you cannot go before him with all of your sin, with all of your shame. You cannot just approach a holy, righteous God with that. You need it to be cleansed from all of your sin, and then you can go approach him. And so the, the whole process was creating in them a need for a Savior who we know would be Jesus Christ. So these laws that God gave the people of Israel actually had a beautiful underlying meaning to them. But here's what happened. Folks, they were so concerned, right, about keeping the law of God. They were so concerned about keeping the law of God that through the process, they, be, they developed a lot of traditions and a lot of rituals. And family, they had massive, massive amounts of traditions. In fact, they would call these the traditions of the elders, which we just saw in the passage. And folks, throughout the centuries, throughout the years, there were different rabbis, scribes, teachers that had oral tradition, that had all these different thoughts about the law and how you can uphold the law and the traditions and the rituals that you must do to uphold the law. And so through the years, there were a bunch of these laws that started accumulating. And eventually, folks, they put them together into what they call the Mishnah. Yeah. The Mishnah is a collection of all these traditions, the rituals from all these scribes, all these rabbis, and they all put them in this thing called the Mishnah. Now, what's crazy about the Mishnah is this, that even in the Mishnah, there were 30 chapters, 30 chapters on how you had to wash your pots and pans. 30 chapters. And not only that, there was a whole volume just on how you had to wash your hands. And so you can imagine these were just very lengthy, tedious things that they began to develop. So folks, eventually, naturally, the Mishnah needed a commentary. 
And so eventually, here's what happened. They developed the Gemara, and the Gemara is simply a commentary to the Mishnah. And so all these people started writing commentaries on how to follow the Mishnah, which told them how to follow God's law. And so eventually, these two things began to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they combined the Mishnah and the Gemara. And that, and, and that became what we call the Talmud. Now, have you ever heard of Talmud? That is a combination of the Mishnah and the Gemara. And folks, the Talmud kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, the Talmud in the, for the Babylonian rabbis was four times bigger than the Jerusalem Talmud. Yeah, and so all these things be, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, more traditions, more rituals. And if that wasn't enough, eventually they started making a commentary called the Midrash, a commentary on God's word. Now, the Midrash is not what some of you may have, a rash that you may have. No, it's called the Midrash. And it's basically another commentary of God's word, of, of just some other thoughts and other traditions. And so, folks, when Jesus shows up on the scene, these people were burdened with all these traditions, with all these rituals. And, folks, here is where they made, a, made the big mistake. In fact, at all campuses say, big mistake. Yeah. Here's what happened. Through time, the big mistake that they made is that they not just had traditions and rituals, but they came to a point that they elevated, they elevated all their traditions and rituals to the same level as God's word. And so family, when Jesus shows up on the scene, there was so much confusion as to what was God's word and all these traditions and all these rituals that some people knew more about the traditions and the rituals rather than God's word. And family, even today, there's people in this city that, more, that know more about the traditions and rituals of their tradition rather than God's word. And so the question is, Omar, why do the, does the human heart, why are we so attracted to traditions and rituals. Well, write this down, it's letter A and B. It's because they promise closeness to God and they promise being right with God. See, folks, whether it's thousands of years ago or even today, the reason that so many people are drawn, listen, to rituals, to traditions, to all these things is because all these actions, they make it look like you're godly. Right, it makes, it makes you feel like when you're doing all these things that you somehow are drawing closer to God. But folks, here's the reality. Write this down as letter C. If we're not careful, they can actually lead us away from God. In fact, listen to what Jesus says next because he's going to be straight up with them. Listen to what he says. He says, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God, listen carefully, 
and you hold to the tradition of men. Now notice, because what, notice what Jesus is saying here. You are teaching the traditions and rituals of men as if they were God's word. And folks, what an indictment on those people. They elevated, listen, they elevated, right? They elevated all what they thought was a tradition, a ritual, all those things. They elevated to the same level as God's word. In fact, if you keep reading this passage, they were not only upholding the traditions to the same level as God's word, but they were even using it to their own greed. Yeah, let's go back to the passage. Listen to what it says. He says, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So folks, here's what was happening. God had commanded us in his word that we ought to honor our father and mother, whether it's in speech, whether it's in thought, whether it's in the way that we approach them in any way, right? We are to honor our father and mother. But that also included financially. And so many times what would happen is when they would grow older, it was a responsibility of that child, of that son or daughter, right, to, to, to help financially their father or mother. But what are these traditions, these rabbinical traditions that they held on to, said that if you set aside money, and you call it Corbin, that is, if you set aside money for God, which Corbin means devoted to God, that you don't have to give that money to your father and mother. Why? Because that was devoted to God. But here's what happened. That same tradition allowed them to later on break that vow and pocket the money. So they would say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to help you financially because I'm devoting this to God but then after a while, they will break that vow and they would keep the money for themselves. And so, folks, their greed was leading them to use traditions to even violate God's law. And see, folks, this is why when Jesus came to this earth, listen, he didn't deny breaking traditions and rituals. In fact, folks, he broke them and he had no respect for traditions and rituals. Because the Lord understood this, that somewhere along the line, traditions that could be a beautiful thing could actually be something that leads us away from the true worship of God and the true experience of God. You know, going back to my opening story, you know, just like uh, taking that picture or that video, just like I focused on that thing which looked like the real thing but really wasn't, and I missed out on the real thing, Listen, just like that, so many people just focus on traditions, a ritual, a habit in their life, and through the process, they end up missing and ex missing worshiping the one true God and experiencing the one true God. And listen, just like that, listen, right, we're able to easily focus on the real thing. Now, 
going back to the going back to this table because I want to help us understand that we too can make the same mistake, right? Going back to this, oftentimes it's easy for us, even as Christians, as the people of God, as a church, to also have things in our minds that we that 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 we kind of idolize in many ways. So, for example, sometimes many people when they look at music style, they, they raise it to a level equal to God's word. Some people would say, oh, well, Omar, the hymns, the hymns, those are the old traditional, really rich in doctrine and theology. That's the way to worship God. And you have other people who say, you know what? The contemporary way is the way to worship God. That's the way you express yourself emotionally and all these different things. And so somewhere along the line, it's easy, right, to elevate a certain music style equal to God's word. In church circles, it's easy also to also focus too much on clothing. Oh, well, you, when you come to church, you gotta, you got to wear a specific thing. you got to come and you got to honor God with what you wear. And so in some churches, people dress this way. And in some other churches, people dress the other way. And if somebody doesn't come dressed the way that you expect them to, it's a big issue. It's almost a sin issue. And so they elevate what? Clothing style, even though no one scripture to say how you should dress to come worship God. In other circles, they may elevate a Bible version above the other. Oh, there's, if you really want to study God's word, there's only one Bible version that you need to use. And if any other church, if anybody else uses something else other than that Bible version, they're not really reading God's word. And so somewhere along the way, we get to tend to elevate a specific Bible version above everything else and we make it, make it equal to, to God's word. Here's another big one, the cross. Some people say, hey, Omar, we, have to, we need to have a cross at church, on the stage, in the hallway. Everywhere we go, there has to be a cross. It is a symbol of Christ. And it's easy to forget that the cross was actually, when nowhere, nowhere in Scripture to say you have to have a cross. In fact, in the early church, the cross didn't, didn't appear anywhere until the 4th century. Because for the first portion of the early church, nobody wanted to see a cross. But man, in some circles, if you don't have a cross everywhere, church is a big deal and they elevate that to the level of God's word. Maybe in some circles, there's a church ministry. You know, they've been doing church a certain way. They've been doing something at church in a certain way, in a certain method for a long time. And they think, listen, if you take out that ministry, if you take that activity... Listen, we're going to make a ruckus. This, this is not godly. What are you doing? How can you be removing this ministry? When in reality, there's certain things that in God's word doesn't specify, but people get so fired up about a specific church ministry that they elevate it to the same level of God's word. Or maybe just rituals, right? Maybe for some of us here in the city, rituals is a big deal. Maybe uh, they do a, 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 a sign with their hand before something important or perhaps they eat a meat, they don't eat meat on Good Friday or perhaps uh, they make their children, their infants go through a ritual, through a tradition when in reality, and none of those things are found in Scripture, but God forbid you don't do it because why? They elevate all these traditions and these rituals to the same level 
of God's word. So folks, here's what I would just say. The question that I have for you today is this. Listen, what tradition, what ritual in your life, or what, maybe what method, what style of church, listen, are you holding on so much to, right, that you get more fired up about that tradition, that ritual, that style of church instead of actually God's word? You know, if you talk to pastors, oftentimes we get more emails with people upset and really making a big fuss, not so much about a teaching of God's word, something in God's word, but rather because of a tradition or a ritual that they think should be here at church or should be at that specific church. Or perhaps it's not something within their own church, but maybe when they look at another church in their community, maybe their worship style is different. Maybe the way they decorate is different. Maybe the way they operate is different. And then somewhere along the line, when people look at that other church, they look at them with disdain. And they start talking bad about them. They start trashing that church. And folks, I got to be honest. Listen, I get upset when I hear people trash another church or another pastor. Listen, you will never hear me trash or talk bad about another church or another pastor. Now, if there's, if there's a church, right, that is purposely defrauding people or teaching a blatant false doctrine, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm going to acknowledge that. But when I hear someone talk about another church, talk bad about them and with, a, with, a, with disdain, just because the way they worship, the way they carry themselves, the way they look, it doesn't fit to their tradition, to the way they think church should be like, it kind of reminds me of these Pharisees because it shows me that that person may not be as mature as they think they are. And the process, they forget that sometimes God's grace is shown in different ways and there's different churches for different people. And sure, listen, Maybe that church is not your cup of tea. That's fine, but don't trash them. You know, don't talk bad about that church. That doesn't honor the Lord. And you see, folks, it's because the Lord knows the danger of tradition that is interesting that throughout the entire New Testament, there are virtually no commands or no instructions as to how it is that we are to gather together. In fact, when, we, when you look at God's word, it obviously says that when you all gather together, right, we're commanded to, to gather together as the people of God. That's part of what we do. And while we're here, right, we are to preach the gospel. But folks, as we gather together, there's only two things, two ordinances that God has given to us. And these are the two ones. It's Lord's Supper and Baptism. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the, of, of the sacrifice of Christ. It makes us stop and remember what he did for us at the cross. And baptism is a, is a celebration not only of the resurrection of Christ, but really of the new life that people have now in Christ. And so it's interesting that throughout the New Testament, right, 
there's no specific guidelines. There's nothing that says, hey, you got to have church like this. This is a style of music you need to have. This is a way you need to decorate. This is a way you need to do ministry, right? It's interesting that the Lord pretty much gives us a lot of wiggle room, right, to be able to assemble ourselves and to worship him and to study his word. And folks, I think it's because part of it is because throughout the centuries, even though the gospel message won't change, doesn't change, it's the same message we've been preaching 2,000 years ago. The reality is that culture changes, situations change, methods change. And so as long as the people of God are gathered together, right, and they are, and they are studying God's word, right, and they're, go, and they're doing the Lord's Supper and baptism, right, that's like the general kind of guidelines that God gives us. But folks, if even though the gospel message doesn't change, but the methods change, isn't the one thing that we need to uphold when we do gather together is simple. Listen, and that is God's word, amen? It's God's word. Folks, and here's why. It's because write this down as big number two. It's because only God's word can lead us to God. Only God's word can lead us to God. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding, what? Traditions? Through the living and abiding rituals? Through the living and abiding style of church? No. Through the living and abiding what? Word of God. You see, the only thing that could lead us to Christ is the truth in God's word. And not only that, but it helps us, it helps us grow and mature in our walk with the Lord. In fact, listen to what it says in Psalms 119, uh, verses 9 through 11. It says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? Listen, if you are a student, if you are a young adult, and you're wondering, how can I honor God? How can I keep my way pure? Listen carefully. By guarding it according to your what? To your word. Not tradition, not a ritual, not a style of church, according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your what? Yeah, from your commandments. So I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. See, family, my challenge for us today is to lose whatever tradition, whatever ritual, whatever, whatever perception of what you think church should be like and reaffirm your commitment and desire to focus and learn God's word. See, that's what we always encourage you throughout the week. Read God's word. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you have a chance, read and study God's word. And family, when we gather together at church, listen, there may be a lot of things that take place at church, right? We have different ministries and worship and all these different things. But folks, make no mistake about it. Folks, God's word is at the center of it. In fact, when we all sit, right, you're not looking at me. You're really looking at God's word. We're all focusing on God's word. And family, not only do we focus on God's word on the weekend, right, when we all gather together, 
But we also focus on God's word throughout the week. And, the, and where we do that as a church family is in our small groups. Now, if you're brand new here to Christ Fellowship, our small groups it are, is our small Bible studies that take place throughout the week. And we have many different groups, many different men, women, couples, adults, young adults, all these different types of group for any stage in life. But folks, small groups are a critical part of who we are as a church because it's really our second step in our discipleship process. After you start coming to church, the next thing we want you to do is get connected to a small group, whether online or whether in person. Listen, we want you to get connected in a small group because we know that something happens when you gather around God's word and you start talking about God's word, you start studying, you start asking questions and thinking through it and meditating and and just talking through everything, that it just helps you grow in your walk with Christ. You know, I've told you before that the one place where I grew tremendously in my walk with the Lord, I wish I could tell you it was when I was reading God's word at home, and there was definitely growth there, or when I came in on weekend to listen to the sermon, absolutely, that's also part of it. But where my walk with Christ took off is very simple, was when I took the step to join a small group. And so you're thinking, Pastor, listen, I'm already in a small group. Listen, I want to encourage you. Listen, stay committed. Affirm your commitment to the small group. If you stop going because of COVID, listen, it's it's time to slowly start getting back. And so I want to encourage you. Listen, if you're already part of our small group, treasure your small group. It's a key part of your walk with the Lord. But maybe you're here, you're thinking, Omar, I'm actually not part of our group. And I would like more information about joining a group. Well, listen, I have great news for you. Because today is our Group Connect weekend. Yeah, we have our Group Connect weekend, which is when we are able to kind of funnel a lot of people into different groups that are starting up, already running. And so to join our small group is very, very easy. You can join our online small group, like I said, in person. And don't worry, we'll help you find whichever group you're looking for. We'll find the day and time and the demographic, the stage in life that you're looking for, and we'll get you connected. And so the easiest way to do it right now, whether you're watching us on a screen uh, at one of our campuses or online, just take your phone right now and just kind of take a picture of that right there. Just put your camera phone on that right there. You'll see a little link on the top of your phone. Click on that, and there just fill out that form And there, somebody from our small group team will follow up with you, send you some options, and you can select the group that fits you best, okay? And another thing that we're also offering if you sign up for a group today is is access to Right Now Media. Now, Right Now Media is an exclusive um, app on the App Store where it has a bunch of different resources, videos, um, teachings, a lot of different cool things that if you sign up, we'll give you free access to that. So not only you can go through that in your small group, but even in your own personal time, you can use this tool as a way to help you expand more in your understanding with God. But family, if you are not part of a small group, listen, remember, there's nothing more important than studying God's word and small groups is a place to be. And so I want to encourage you as we move forward, let's reaffirm our commitment, not only to gather together to study God's word and hear God's word, but then also be in a small group and discuss it and grow in our understanding of it, right? Well, Christ fellowship, let me pray for us and then we'll be concluded. Father God, we are just so grateful that my Lord, that you have given us the tool, the place where we can come and know you and experience you 
and that is from your word. And so, Father, as we now finish up today, Father, I pray for all of us that there will be a renewed commitment to your truth, to a desire to seek your word. And, Father, may we grow together individually and collectively, Lord, in our understanding of you. And so, Father, help us to stay away from not focusing on things that don't matter and help us focus on the things that do matter, which is your word. So, Father, thank you, Lord, and we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.